Welcome back to Coach Class with me, Dom Birch. This is the podcast where I get to speak to inspirational leaders from across the globe. And I'm delighted this week to be joined by Rob Chester. Rob, welcome along to Coach Class. Just give the listeners a little bit of a potted history, if you don't mind. So, you know, where was your start point and what were the sort of steps along the journey that have ended up where you are now? I lost my parents when I was quite young, but one of my father's bits of advice to me was he gave me the choice of becoming a doctor or a lawyer or a, or an accountant. And because accounting was never my strong point and I hated the sight of blood, I, w- I went down the legal route qualified as a lawyer. But by the time I, I finished my postgrad, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. Because I'd had to work my way all the way through university, I'd I'd loved retail. I'd been working at Tesco as an hourly paid associate in a small store, so doing basically everything. Ended up as a a store manager. Um, So I was, if you like, I was a lawyer that was running shops. And a famous day, a lady walked into my uh, office with Tesco's new compliance processes, threw them at me, said, have a read of that, I'll be back in 15 minutes. And um, read them and could see exactly what the problem was. Basically, a lawyer had created them and they were uh, written by lawyers. You know, it, it wasn't written so people could understand it and execute it on a, on a, in a store. They were written basically to um, to keep the lawyers happy and, and cover people's uh, couple of people's backsides. But I was brave. I wrote off to the equivalent of the compliance officer and basically said, you've got a problem. Here's what your team have produced. Uh, uh, this is what you actually mean and wrote about one page summary that went alongside it that contrasted um and thankfully he didn't fire me he said uh, no come on then come on down i'll give you a trial and see where it goes and and that's how i got into the whole world of uh, compliance uh, did compliance very happily in the uk to start with the tesco and then went off uh, then went off around the world doing that in different markets and different countries then joined asda where i met you back in 2005 loved it loved the culture loved how the business operated uh, again in a compliance role moved on to china in 2011 as uh, as compliance officer for walmart out in china that was a very stressful situation because they got themselves into quite a difficulties out there so i went out there basically to um, to to fix things and improve things um, then moved on to the united states in in 20 13, 2014, sorry, where I met uh, Steve Smith, one of your previous, uh, one of your previous interviewees. A uh, couple of happy years in the United States, and then came back to um, to run a, a certification body in the UK, NSF, where I've been very, very happy for four years. But I'm actually in the process of moving on at the moment. So, um, so yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. And what a nutshell that is. I mean, one hell of a nutshell. But also, let's just go back a little bit then to retail, because I think anyone who's had the privilege of working in a retail environment, and particularly, I would say, one of the large grocers, because, you know, whether it's Tesco, Morrison's, Asda, Sainsbury's, you know, there's a real... There's a real something special, isn't there, about working in a retail environment in order to get, you know, this army of people to turn up on time, to treat customers with respect, to make sure the, you know, the shelves are stocked, that they keep people safe and that they, you know, the, the delis are clean and all that kind of stuff. It requires a huge amount of goodwill. I would say it's that extra 20% that people have, that discretionary effort, if you like, that people can choose to put in or put or not, frankly. And that has to come from somewhere, doesn't it? And and my experience was it comes from having really, really clear purpose, a really, really sort of aligned culture, if you like, and, and a sense of values that people understand and therefore that can dictate how they behave without having to go, as you say, go back and look through the rules that have been written by a lawyer. I, I'm very grateful for my retail career early on because talk about the school of hard knocks. 
I started out, I was leading people at 21, 22 years of age. And um, I am thankful still today for what my first teams taught me about how to lead people. I remember when I first got appointed as a, you know, as a department manager and I was a bit full of myself and, and I, I thought I was, you know, a bit of the bee's knees that I've come in and that's what I've done. And I had multiple jobs to do in the store as well. I was on like a graduate program and I had multiple jobs to do in the store. And I remember I wrote a little note, my, my team used to have a notice board and I wrote a note on there basically saying, look, look guys, I'm really, really busy this week. If you need, if you need us, um, if you need me, just can you leave a note in my pigeonhole? And I arrived the following morning to find this note in my pigeonhole and it just said, talk to us, sign the team. I mean, talk about bringing you down a peg or two. I learned really early on uh, through a lot of people who saw a lot of managers what good looks like. And one of the bits, one of the tips my father gave me as a young guy was, you know, whenever you stop working for a boss or you, start, or you change jobs, write down one thing, one thing that you're going to copy and take to your next job. And one thing that you're going to leave behind and not do. And he was adamant that over, over a career that will turn into a bit of a playbook as to how people, how, how you'll be a decent leader that, that people will want to follow. The whole customer aspect, you know, that that's one thing that I absolutely took from my Tesco days. Leahy's absolute obsession with customers and, and the, story, the stories, the folklore that used to go through the business of just... You know, you could get lots and lots of things wrong at Tesco, but my word, if you got it wrong for the customers, if you weren't listening enough, if you weren't putting them at the center of every decision, um, you you were on the wrong track. And and that's something that absolutely I learned early and have carried on through my career. You know, basically the customer is, is largely king and you've got to try and make sure that, that you're building things that are going to work for them. And I like this concept in retail where you become a student of retail. And I think one of the things that I've sort of admired about the way that you operate, Rob, is this sense of that you're a student of being a leader. You're a student and and therefore you leave behind and your, your reputation that goes before you is one of trust, that you engender in people a warmth and that people are willing to, you know, they want, they want to be led by you. Just talk to us a little bit about perhaps some of the mentoring and coaching that you've done, because as I understand it, you know, the guys that you were working with over in China, what, five, six, maybe seven years ago, are still a cohort of people, aren't there, that you regularly touch base with and that you, you still kind of host these informal coaching and mentoring sessions. Yeah, I do. Yeah, very proudly. I mean, I'm sat here with my little book on my desk. When I when I finished up in China, much to my surprise, um, my PA, who'd been my translator and everything else, young lady called Summer, who'd been with me all step of the way, my my parting gift from China, she gave me a little book. And and throughout the previous couple of years, all she'd done every day where we'd gone out and done to different places, she'd been taking pictures and making notes and presented me with this book that's still on my desk today. That's the impact it's had nearly 10 years later. But one of the things she captures in there was the, the Friday morning uh, mentoring sessions that we started. And, and that was because, so I, but it was, it's always a two-way street, Dom, isn't it? You're a new mentor, aren't you? But ultimately, you know it's going to be a two-way street. That the Chinese were really, really anxious to learn about Western culture and how Western leadership happened and, and what what that looked like. And at the same time, I was really anxious to learn and understand how to lead in China. 
you know, that, that, and the, the two were often very, very, very different, very, very different. Um, but yes, no, I, I really, really proudly did a lot of mentoring out there. And then I managed to find ways of continuing that when I when I moved on. Let's talk a little bit about NSF. So NSF are a um, compliance auditing company. They're actually a not-for-profit charity based over in, in the US. But you were running the entire European food business and you were sort of MD over here in the UK. Talk to me about that sort of first impression. Because when you go into a new organisation, even though you know the sector, you know the industry, you clearly have huge amount of you know, experience and track record in this sector. But you are walking into a new culture and now you're at the top of the tree rather than coming in as a kind of senior leader you are the person who the buck stops with you're the new person in charge just talk to me about how you approached that and and how you wanted to do that in your authentic leadership style but also in an appropriate way I guess for the culture and for the for what the expectation was of those people that were now you know meeting their boss for the first time yeah so I'd say a combination of two things I mean the first thing is I, and it was probably corny now. I was actually thinking to myself, I should watch back and have a look. Because when I first arrived, I did a brief YouTube video just basically introducing myself because obviously a lot of my people worked out in the field and I didn't see them. You know, often the only time I actually saw people was literally when we got together at Christmas for a for a drink before Christmas to say thank you to everybody. Um, I did a bit of a video at the start just to do an introduction to myself. Well, this is Rob. This is what I stand for. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and I narrated a bit of a story back from retail, actually, of pickled onions when I, um, as a young as a young manager in a sh- in a store, I got conned basically by this salesman into taking a pallet of pickling um, pickling vinegar so that people could pickle their own onions. And a full pallet on um, on my produce department and store manager called me down one day and said, what the bloody hell's this? What have you ordered here? When's the last time you know anybody who pickled their own onions, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, just I, he said, right, go on, you've got to try and sell it now. And of course, two, three weeks later, I hadn't sold a thing of pickled onions. But what he actually asked me to do was basically go around and ask the colleagues and ask the customers, listen, listen to them. Go and ask, right, you've got 100 customers on your department right now. Go and ask how many of them pickled their own onions. And, of course, the answer was 100 didn't. And then go and ask the people who deal with produce every day, who you know, who sell this stuff. And, of course, the answer from all of them was you're mad as a box of frogs. You know, no one pickles their own onions. And so as well as setting out a bit of a story of this is who I am, this is what I do, I've narrated the fact that I really wanted to listen. And for my first three months in the job, all I really did was open my door and have people come in and tell me what they honestly felt and thought. And back to a bit of a discussion we were having last week, you see, Dom, this is one of those things about culture that's always fascinated me. Organisations get cultures whether they want them or not. It's just going to happen. And one of the things that has always struck me about a culture is that people do what's easiest for them. They always have. They always will. My father always instilled that into me. You know, never forget people do what's easiest for them. And obviously, if you want a challenging culture where people are going to come and tell you the truth, that won't happen by accident. You've actually got to work quite hard to engender a culture where people will do that. Just think of it your own your own situation. Most people, 80 odd percent of people, will find it really, really, really hard to go and say, do you know what, Rob? You're about to make a complete balls up here. 
your, your strategy is completely wrong. You, you've got this wrong, and this is why. Um, and I always aspired. I mean, I don't know whether I completely achieved that. Well, no, I didn't completely achieve it. But I always aspired to be that type of leader that would know what was happening on the ground. Because from minute one, I tried to set out, look, here's a story about me making a complete balls up. And therefore, I listened to a load of people, found out what that was and tried to change my character. And, and basically, I'm going to open my door. And if you want to come and tell me how it is around here and what we can do better, then I'd, I'd love to listen to you. And that symbolism of opening the door and actually physically having a door that is open reminds me a little bit of some of the symbols at Asda when we were, you know, when Asda's culture was at its finest, I think. You know, and it's hard for me to know now. I've been out five or six years. But but things like, you know, stand-up meeting tables when they weren't really a thing. What did that symbolise? It meant that we get things done quickly. We don't stand yeah. on ceremony, actually, and we're not going to have a formal meeting. That we have a morning huddle. What does a morning huddle mean? It means everyone comes together and we share the information that's most important so everybody can act with the best intentions because they're fully informed that we wear, you know, all these different symbols. That symbolism of having your door open. How did people react? Did people come in? Was Were people afraid? Were you surprised by what you heard? And, and did it take some time to build up, a you know, a degree of trust? I always think it does. Uh, I, I think on trust, there are any shortcuts. You you cannot, cannot, cannot be trusted quickly. What you've got to do is show day after day, week after week, month after month, that you behave consistently and that you you listen consistently. And one of the things that I, I, I always, one of my previous bosses used to have this thing, if you bring me a problem, I'm grateful. If you bring me a problem and a solution, I'm really grateful. And if you bring me a problem, a solution and a way to fix it, I'm really, really, really grateful. And I'll give you gold star of the week. But the most important one was the first one, because ultimately, as a leader, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the things I've always tried to instill in boards of directors is to take conscious risks. Businesses generally get themselves into the biggest pickles and the biggest troubles when they take unconscious risks. In other words, they really don't understand what they're about to get into as to where they're going to go and what they're going to do. And that really is all about making sure that you're in touch with the people that are on the ground and what they do and how they do it. One of my one of my biggest mentors that's impacted me in, in my career was a leader of a retail business and he and he used to visit every single week he visited 10 stores and every single week he would listen to 10 hourly paid associates from each of those 10 stores. So he was getting 100 bits of feedback a week from people that were doing the job on the ground every day. And, and you just knew with that leader, they were really very, very unlikely to be surprised as to what was going on in their facilities and in their in their shops. And, and although the fact this person was running, you know, literally thousands of stores, you always knew they were going to have the finger on the pulse. And I, I always get a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling about that because it's the bit that's going on that the leaders don't know about that usually gets them into the biggest trouble. I want to ask a little bit about you, because I think one of the things that comes across is just your compassion, your humanity. You know, you obviously you like people. Where do you get your energy from? What what inspires you to get out, jump out of bed? And and, and also uh, in, in conjunction with getting your energy, how do you recharge? How do you give yourself that space, that capacity to reflect and to think and to mull? Because 
you know, I'm thinking of the, you know, the people listening to this podcast who are probably working from home, going from Zoom to Zoom in really high pressure jobs. I might have reached a few of those moments in the last year where it's been hard to get that energy. So I'm just interested, somebody like you, Rob, you know, where, where, do you, where do you find that energy and how do you also make sure that you're recharging? Yeah, damn good question. I mean, last year was uh, the toughest year I've ever known in business. I mean, it was such a difficult, difficult year, but I I had a bit of a list as to what I was trying to make sure I did every day. I didn't manage to do it every day, but I had a list next to my desk of what I was trying to do every day. I was trying to make sure I got some exercise in every day because that really matters to me that I do some physical exercise every day. I was trying to make sure that I ate just silly things like ate my five a day every day. I was trying to make sure that I got a reasonable amount of sleep. I was trying to make sure that every night before I, bo- I went to sleep, I, I watched some comedy. Um, I'm a big fan of the Chimp Paradox, the Steve Peters book, and he always talks about that when you wake up in the middle of the night, it's never good news. And so one of the things I like to do with my brain is give it a bit of humor before it goes to bed in, in the vain hope that it'll it'll sort of stay there through the night and give me a good night's sleep. So, yeah, I did. I did have a list, Dom. And to be honest, I, I, I tried to stick as rigidly to it as I possibly could. But every day, you see, I was talking to, you know, usually working mums who were trying to homeschool and you could just see how difficult it all was and and how they were juggling so many different things. Um, you know, I, I was lucky. The hardest challenge I really had was new puppy last year. Um, but out of bed, what does that with me every day? Yeah, I've, I've got to say it is it is trying to make a bit of a difference. Um, I've, I've, I've been so fortunate through my career that in most of the jobs that I've been doing, I've been able to see the tangible difference that I can make either to people or to customers or to or to just sort of a bit of the world in a, in a, in a very humble way. But that, that's the beauty of working in an area like compliance. You, you actually can make a difference. Um, and I, I love that about a role. And generally when I move on, it's because I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I'm not actually making the difference that I want to make. I, I was saying to someone on my on my morning run this morning, you know, you you really have to plan your future based on hope, not fear. And I find with so many people, I contrasted that with the, the old statistic that what is it, 80% of people are disengaged at work at any one time. And and I think that just says, doesn't it, that most people run their lives a bit too much by fear rather than hope of what they could do and the difference they could make. And it's very trite, isn't it? It's very easy to say to people, oh, you should just be braver, et cetera, particularly with such a difficult year that everybody's had. But I do think it's that thing that you want to have a hopeful future and you want to be able to make a difference about what it is you're going to do. And if you get out of bed and decide, you know what, that's not working for me anymore. It's it's time to to think about how you're gonna how you're gonna change that and grab hold of it. Brilliant. Well, listen, Rob, I hope that uh, we stay in touch as much as we do, because it's always a privilege to talk to you. It's always interesting to see what you're thinking, but also what you're reading. And you're very generous in lending me books. And I love the little sidebar notes. And maybe we could have another podcast one day about that little process you use. But thank you so much for joining me on Coach Class. It's been an absolute joy catching up with you. Pleasure, Dom. Always love to talk, talk to you, mate. Look after yourself. 